Hey everybody and welcome to the Five Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors, Numescent, the inventors of the first and only cloud-native container management platform for Windows desktops, and also brought to you by Netrix Policy Pack, where you use Group Policy, Policy Pack Cloud, or MDM to remove local admin rights, manage and lock down applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. And of course, also brought to you by ControlUp, end-to-end digital experience management for the work from anywhere era. ControlUp, happy users, happy IT. If you enjoy the show each week, you have these awesome sponsors to thank. And now for some news. It was a rough day on Wednesday for many IT workers as a Microsoft wide area network configuration change caused a global outage of Azure services that included widely used services such as Microsoft Teams, Exchange Online, OneDrive for Business, Intune, Defender for Cloud Apps, Power BI, Graph, Microsoft 365 Admin Center, and more. Customers reported seeing a 504 error in some instances, and this outage also impacted other vendor services that ran on Azure, like Citrix Cloud Services, for example. I was in a group chat with some of my Irish EUC buddies who relayed in real time the hammering that their respective service desks were experiencing with over 100 calls. At the time of this recording, the status page shows all services have been restored and earlier today, which is Wednesday, it was reported that they rolled back the configuration change and some services were beginning to restore slowly. Certainly, I had heard by midday on Wednesday, my time, that some people were getting back into certain services but were still unable to get into others. Overall, this was a very rough outage. It lasted several hours and got mainstream news attention, which is not a good look for Microsoft or cloud-hosted infrastructure in general. Probably a further reminder to not pull all your eggs in one basket, in my opinion. However, it is pretty hard considering so many organizations have standardized on things like Microsoft MFA, on Office 365 and Azure Active Directory, for example. So even if they're doing multi-cloud and they're putting maybe some instances in uh, Google Cloud Platform, in AWS and Azure, for example, well, if your MFA and your Azure Active Directory are affected by a service outage, you know that could still affect things even if you are across multiple other clouds for other components of the infrastructure. So it's just, I don't know, it's a bad start to the year for the cloud, unfortunately. BleepyComputer.com reported this week that Microsoft have confirmed an issue that's causing the Windows Start menu to become unresponsive and for some applications, including Windows Search and UWP apps, to no longer launch. The issue affects only client platforms, including Windows 10 version 20H2, 21H2, and 22H2, and Windows 11 version 22H2. It said that affected Windows devices might have damaged registry keys or data, which may affect apps using Microsoft Office APIs to integrate with Windows, Microsoft Office, or Microsoft Outlook or Outlook Calendar. It is claimed the problems are not triggered by a Windows update, but might be exposed by an update to an affected app. 
To mitigate the issue, you can uninstall apps which integrate with Windows, Microsoft Office, Outlook or Outlook Calendar, and change affected apps so they don't run on startup and rather just run on demand. That's pretty crazy. <laughs> it's a crazy suggestion for a workaround. Uh, I'm delighted this is not affecting me personally because it sounds like a pain in the arse. Uh, Microsoft have said they are investigating the issue, so hopefully they provide a proper long-term fix soon. I could swear people were reporting issues like this, like UWP applications and Office applications not launching um, during that fiasco where the ASR uh, was deleting shortcuts, which are reported on last week's episode. But maybe that was just a coincidence and both issues were presenting at the same time. I'm not sure. BBcomputer.com also reported this week that over 290 MSI motherboards are reportedly affected by an insecure default UEFI secure boot setting that allows any operating system image to run regardless of whether it has a wrong or missing signature. The issue impacts many Intel and AMD based MSI motherboards that uses a recent firmware version affecting even brand new MSI motherboard models. MSI made a statement on Reddit that said, quote, MSI implemented the secure boot mechanism in our motherboard products by following the design guidance defined by Microsoft and AMI before the launch of Windows 11. We preemptively set secure boot as enabled and, quote, always execute, end quote, as the default setting to offer a user-friendly environment that allows multiple end users flexibility to build their PC systems with thousands of components that included their built-in option ROM, including OS images, resulting in higher compatibility configurations. For users who are highly concerned about security, they can still set an image execution policy as deny execute or other options manually to meet their security needs. In response to the report of security concerns with the preset BIOS settings, MSI will be rolling out new BIOS files for our motherboards with deny execute as the default setting for higher security levels. MSI will also keep a fully functional secure boot mechanism in the BIOS for end users so that they can modify according to their needs." End quote. So kind of passing the buck a little bit uh, to Microsoft and AMI stating, well, they were just kind of following those recommendations, which, you know, I'm not entirely sure. Maybe that's completely fair on their part and uh, it very well may be. But as my buddy Patrick Coble has uh, covered in a webinar previously about just, you know, default security settings, it's better to be setting these defaults to the most secure option which in this case would be this deny execute. And the good news is that it sounds like MSI is going to be rolling that out very soon. I did a roundup of the Patch Tuesday news on last week's episode of the podcast, but it is worth noting that VMware have released a patch for V for vRealize log insight vulnerabilities that could enable attackers to gain remote code execution on unpatched appliances. The CVEs for these are CVE-2022-31703 and 31704. And 31703 is described as a directory traversal vulnerability that malicious actors can exploit to inject files into the operating system of impacted appliances to achieve remote code execution. And 31704 is a broken access control flaw that can also be abused to gain remote code execution on vulnerable appliances 
by injecting maliciously crafted files. Both vulnerabilities are tagged with a critical severity score of 9.8 out of 10, as these can be exploited by unauthenticated threat actors in low complexity attacks that don't require user interaction. So definitely one that you want to get patched as soon as possible. On an episode of the podcast last month, I covered the fact that someone from Microsoft accidentally leaked that tabs would be coming to Notepad. Well, it looks like it is now available for insiders to test. And if you'd like to try it, you will need to install version 11.2212.33.0 and you'll get the Notepad app and that gains you the access to the new tabs feature, which should be rolling out for dev channel users in the Microsoft Store right now. WindowsCentral.com had a follow-up report about upcoming changes to File Explorer in Windows 11 and shared some more screenshots. This is something that I covered on the podcast, I think late last year, but several weeks or maybe even a couple months ago. And it appears Microsoft is attempting to modernize the user interface and further embrace the rounded edges that you'll see all over Windows 11 already, but within File Explorer some more. It looks like they may also add a recommended panel for quick access to recent or frequently accessed files within Explorer. And it appears there's a pop-out menu that will also feature some more rich context for files, such as information on related files to the file that you've highlighted or just some other useful data. Windows Central reports these changes may not be reflected in Windows 11 until 23H2. Windows Central also reported this week on the latest version of Windows Package Manager, which is version 14 that has just been released, and it has several new enhancements, including the fact it now supports downloading and extracting installers from zip files. And they say this feature builds on their existing support for portable packages and existing installer support for MSIX, MSI, and EXE-based installers. Your initial support includes either a single installer or one or more portable packages. Also provided within this release is command aliases for running winget command slash slash help as it will now show any aliases for that command within the help. Uh, LS and RM are now included, obviously by guessing for doing things like listing. And those will help working between different platforms that users are familiar with so ls i think would be familiar with uh windows operating systems and linux operating systems with you know linux operating systems having that for quite some time but i believe microsoft within powershell has been embracing a lot of those linux commands or unix commands for some time as well so probably familiar to both They've also enhanced the install upgrade flow. So previously, WinGet could fail during upgrades as some packages required specific commands to perform an upgrade. Well, this update adds improvements to automatically switch to the upgrade flow if a package is already installed. Uh, There is now a wake capability. So there are times that you don't want the terminal text to just disappear. If you wish to keep the prompt around, you can now add a dash dash wait to your command. And there's also WinGet show. So more manifest values have been added to the winget show command. If you haven't checked out Windows Package Manager yet, you should give it a try. 
Finally this week, Ars Technica went through interesting new studies from Chenelius and Coverware, whose data suggests that 2022 was not a strong year, at least for in terms of growth for ransomware gangs, as they say that their income fell from $766 million in 2021 to an estimated $457 million last year. So obviously that's still a substantial amount of money, but when compared with the previous year, it's a significant reduction. It was also revealed that victims paying fell from about 85% in Q1 of 2019 to only 37% paying the ransoms in Q4 of 2022. So this data from two different studies seems to correlate quite nicely. It shows there's a significant decrease in the amount being made by ransomware gangs, and it also appears there is confirmation of an increase in the number of victims who are obviously refusing to pay the ransom. So kind of good news all around, I guess. Hopefully this will deter ransomware gangs. Although, you know, $457 million is still quite lucrative. And now this episode, scripts, tricks, and tips. First up this week, of course, Guy Leach, who tweeted that he needed to verify that there was only one instance of one or more characters in a string and match only matches once by default. So he used split with regex instead and looked at the array count. And you're not obviously kind of grasping this or maybe how to use this, although, hey, I shouldn't say that. Maybe you are. <laughs> Maybe you've got like Russell Crowe, beautiful mind, and you can just kind of see all this in your head. Uh, but for the rest of us, <laughs> uh, if you want to get a look at this for yourself, some of the examples that Guy has shown where he's been using this, uh, you can check out the YouTube edition of the podcast, which you'll find at fivebytespodcast.com for this episode, which is episode 266. Or alternatively, just go to fivebytespodcast.com to find the reference links for all of the links to all the content that I mentioned on every episode of the podcast. And finally, uh, it's kind of a general one. I've talked a lot about ChatGPT on the podcast over the last few weeks at least. And I've seen a lot of different use cases and I, I've already kind of talked about this when covering the stories. Like for example, somewhere like, oh, it's great for doing competitive analysis. Whereas I don't find it's all that great for doing competitive analysis because uh, the data only goes up to 2021. So those vendors who are maybe creating you know, innovative products that are new to the market, there's not going to be data on that type of product and on competitors in that area because it's so new. Uh, but what it has been somewhat effective for, and others are using it for this purpose too, is you can ask ChatGPT to create a PowerShell script for you. And I've tried this several times. Honestly, not every PowerShell script it has created has actually worked. I've had to fine tune things, uh, but it can be quite useful if you're just maybe scratching your head and just like, oh, I want to do a script that does this. I've done this before. I can't remember what script it's in but I know it's possible. So I'll just ask ChatGPT to create the script and then it spits it out and like, oh yeah, yeah, that's what I did. So you could take maybe that three or four lines uh, that's useful within the script it produces and just put it into your script that you're working on. So it's not bulletproof. Like I said, it's not 100% accurate. Uh, in particular, if you're trying to use maybe um, some PowerShell modules, 
because it's working on old data, it's possible that it's referring to PowerShell modules that have been since updated. So maybe some of the parameters or arguments you try to use are no longer supported, which then it results in the script failing and you having to update it. So, I mean, it's got really great potential. Uh, it's not all the way there, but you can make it work for you and just take the useful parts out of it for your own work. Well, that's it for this episode of the podcast. Thank you all so much for listening.